Blog Talk Radio. Hey, Charles, this is your call right here. Had to start the morning off with something. We are piecing together the net live right now, ladies and gentlemen. We are just, I'm not sure how it's coming together, but we are just barely making it. Five seconds of showtime and we have no opener. Here we are. (laughs) We've got has-been equipment. We're just hoping that we could possibly get the program running. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. Welcome to the Net Live here on Volleyball Magazine. We're glad you've chosen to join us here on a Manic Monday. We are trying to piece together the program for you quickly here on April 28, 2014. Hard to believe a quarter of the year already gone. A quarter of the year. I mean, another year of my life fading away. I tend to think of my year starting in July when I actually have a breather from things. So it depends on what calendar you're on. If you're on the coaching calendar, it's July is the beginning of your year. <laughs> All right. If you're a men's indoor coach, your year starts in January. If you are a beach volleyball player, your year started this past weekend. Sure did. We had men and women in action, North Seca men and the Fusau. Fusau. Fusau Open. That. Women. That was uh, in action there in China. We will talk about that event. And, of course, the big news domestically in the world of volleyball, was the final six being set for the men's NCAA championship. That counts as the big controversy this week as well. Oh, my God. The Internet almost blew up. Well. (laughs) Almost. The Internet nearly exploded. And and my head nearly exploded. I mean. Pepperdine, not in. Pepperdine got the snub. Pepperdine got the snub. Pepperdine didn't help themselves by losing a whole lot of their last 10 matches and looking pretty... A whole lot of their last 10 matches? Wait a second. They lost to UCLA in that stretch. They just got trounced by Stanford. Stanford beat them badly a couple of times, no doubt. Well, it didn't look real promising against the field there at the end. All right, well... and you'll have the Okay, but they're playing top 10 competition... Their last few matches, they're playing top ten There's competition. Only thirty Listen. teams. Everybody's in the top ten. No, we're, all right. We'll get into this. Listen, it's going to be Katie and Kevin. We're going to have College Football Weekly for you right off the top here by ten fifteen. <laughs> coming up, we'll have Jay. We'll have Vinny. We should have Robbie. I, I hope Robbie knows. We moved it to ten fifteen. Did you tell him? Uh, I hope Jay did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Pass the buck on that one, real yeah, quick. Yeah, I will. Uh, I will let Robbie know right now that uh, it's coming up. We'll see CVW in. 15. Let him know that. I'm looking at Pepperdine's schedule here. Call Come on. They finished. What do you mean they finished with a bunch of losses? What was their at the end of their They game? lost to Stanford. These are their last matches. They lost to UCLA? No, no 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. They won 10 of their last 12. Okay. The only loss was that Stanford loss, 3-0. Mm-hmm. A quick one. And also to Stanford. They also Stanford twice. And then the MPSF finals. That's it. I was at that In that match. stretch, they beat Hawaii twice, Long Beach State, USC, Long Beach again, UC Santa Barbara, UCLA. I've taken out some of the – I'm throwing out Pacific, CSUN, and Pacific again. Those are quality wins. Let's compare. 
Let's. You want to wait till Jay gets on the line to have this discussion? No. He's the person you really would like to. Uh, Jay and I argued yesterday via text, and. I have some further information. After our argument, I have gone and done some more research. So don't claim that I haven't done a whole bunch of work for this oh, yeah, show. Oh, yeah, did today. like 10 minutes of it Googling prior to. I did work yesterday. Started. I did some work yesterday trying to get back from Boston to here. Let's look, shall we, at the last few matches for Lewis. Just Lewis. <laughs> Is it in reverse order? Reverse order. Their final match, 1-3 loss to Loyola. Number one team in the nation. Nothing to be ashamed of. They beat Ball State 3-2. They beat Grand Canyon twice. No, three times. Played them three times in a row. All at home. Beat them nine sets to none. Before that, it was Lindenwood on the chopping block. Quincy before that. Ball State 3-2 again before that. IPFW 3-2. A Penn State loss, 1-3. I don't know. They got a lot of wins. Too bad three of them are over Grand Canyon. Three of them. I mean, I can understand the argument from the NCAA's perspective and the way they do things, because I never really understand how they do things. But I actually agree with you. I think it should have been an MPSF team. And I think... This doesn't make for good radio, Katie. I know. I'm we'll get sorry. Jay on here. He disagrees Hey, we're trying me. to keep the battle to the end. If Title IX comes up, we're going to be screaming at each other. So let's just go oh, with the... Oh, <laughs> man. Well, maybe we'll get there. Maybe that'll be fun. I don't know about that. <laughs> Only if Jay stays on the line for it, because he needs to be involved in that conversation. All right. We're going to have Jay. We're going to have Robbie. We're going to have Vinny. Jay's in we're Chicago. Does together. he have the right time zone? Well, he does. He's going to be on a bus on his way to practice. Vinny is going to be hoping that the conference call starts late. And Robbie is going to hopefully be out of the water because the surf is up. It is. Very up. My so down here. That's, that's our guys. We're going to talk to them. But I have some real questions because this is the first time since 1994 an IPFW getting selected over Stanford. Huge controversy then. Boy Ball, the setter for IPFW at that point, when there was another Midwest team as the at-large. Lewis is the number four seed. Not only are they the at-large, they are the number four seed. Yeah, they should have been behind Penn State for sure. They lost to Penn State at least once. I think it's twice. Well, and How do you get seeded above a team that beat you in the regular season? Did Erskine play Lewis or Loyola? Who cares? They played somebody in there. But, I mean, what that result is, Erskine would have been the six no matter what. Well, so it wouldn't have changed okay. the matchup whether they were the four or the five. No, it doesn't. I, it's just a fun point to argue there. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't make a difference at all in that, in that aspect of the seeding. They're still going to play each other. No, I don't see Erskine on here. Oh, there it is, Erskine. Yeah, 3-1 win over Erskine. Do they get huge credit for beating Erskine? Because they're the Conference Carolina champs? They're the AQ you know, I actually don't know. Because that's BS. If that happens, I'm calling total BS on the committee. It may actually, because that's how the NCAA selects for every other sport. They just, the, the, problem the terminology is, is other teams under consideration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where they're using a formula to determine the field for the men's volleyball that they use for every other sport, but it's not as, it's really not as relevant to men's volleyball because it's just not the same there's not the same number of teams. It's such a small field. They can't really use that consideration, and that makes it really hard. Let's go through some of the awesome names that Lewis has defeated, some of the teams that they have just pummeled this year, some really top-level competition. Man, I have to go way back in the text messages here. Jay and I had a lengthy conversation while I was in the Boston airport yesterday 
Here it is. Quincy, Sacred Heart, Lindenwood, Mount Olive, Missouri Baptist. Missouri okay. Baptist. Beating the other Man, they're school. good. McKendry, I don't even know who that is. St. Francis, George Mason, UOP. Solid wins. Solid wins. It's not saying anything bad about Dan Friend and his Lewis Dan's team. awesome. I like Dan a lot. And Dan was like, he did a pretty good job with his interview yesterday in terms of we're happy to get in. Like we weren't expecting it. We knew there was an outside chance, and oh, I mean, absolutely! You just play the matches in front of you're selected. It's not like, and this is my argument every time this happens when everybody's like, "Oh, Penn State gets such an easy run in the women's side," or you know, it's not their Penn State does they just get an play easy the run. games that are in front of them. They like, get a gift every not not every year, but nearly. Now, well, they, they had Stanford in the Elite Eight this year. It's no, not this exactly year they didn't get it. right. This year wasn't a gift. This year they got a little tougher road. But Penn State, to their credit, no matter who you put in front of Penn State... They pretty much run roughshod over them. Yeah. So. yeah, and we gave them credit in, in the tournament that they beat some people up pretty badly. Right. Well, and this is... It's a selection committee issue, and we always take it out on the teams that get selected. Like, ugh, look at Lewis. Well, it's not Lewis's fault that they got selected. No, no, we're it's not beating up Dan committee Friend and Lewis. That, and we always make it sound like it's the fault of the team that got through, and it's not. And we're not beating up the kids who are getting an opportunity yeah, to but play. You're, you're sitting here going, ugh. This team doesn't deserve it, and now you've got a bunch of kids that are trying to go play and win a match when you're like, oh, well, they just don't deserve to even be there, instead of being like, hey, you know what? You're playing the matches that are in front of you. Yeah, the committee, we don't agree with their decision, but at the same time, you can't hold it against those kids and belittle what they've accomplished in the season just because you believe somebody else accomplished more. All right, look, the record is 23-7. and seven. Pepperdine, 19-7. and seven. Equal number of losses. Mm-hmm. Matches against top ten teams. Matches one. That's factored in. Matches one against top ten because teams. They don't really use the coaches. No, they don't. But ma- these are the people who should know, right? Matches one against top ten teams. Seen the women's selection committee? <laughs> How many times has Lewis defeated a team in the top ten? One time. It happened to be BYU. <laughs> All credit to them. First match of the season. On Lewis's home floor. It was their second match of the year after a 1-3 loss to UC Irvine. BYU came in and Lewis won, 3-1. That is January 4th. One win over a top-10 team, and that happened in January, four months ago. The USC match got canceled mm-hmm. due to weather. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because I, that would be an interesting match. Yeah, I think... Because they're one and one against the MPSF at that point, mm-hmm. against good MPSF competition, very good. That would have been a good tiebreaker because they played at Stanford. They lost three one. Kudos for scheduling Stanford. You go to Pacific, you win three zero. You may as well may as well have played McKendry. Everybody kept telling me how Pacific was going to be dangerous and this and that and the other thing. Well, the bottom not, line is they're a trap match if you aren't paying attention. I guess. But, but they had lost all their good players. Yep. They had nothing left. And they were perennially not great before. It's been a while since they were decent. Yeah, but they, they were a much better team before they got the axe and half their players left. They went 3-24. and 3-24. Mm-hmm. So I'm not giving you any credit for that win. I'm not giving anybody any credit for the wins over Pacific. Pacific went five twice, once against Grand Canyon, 
and once against Cal State Northridge. Other than that, let's see, one, two, three, four. They won four sets, four sets since February 1st. I'm counting here. I know it's good radio. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, <laughs> 17, 18, 19. That's 19 matches. They won four sets. No one gets credit for beating Pacific, period. Sorry, Pacific. Well, you don't think they get credit, but the committee used it, so. No, it's, that's BS. You can't use it. <laughs> well, apparently you can. Four sets <laughs> in 19 matches. Nobody gets credit for wins over Pacific. Throw it out. And I've argued the other side of this, about the quality of the Midwest schools and Eastern schools, on air with Al Skates, because he wanted to take conference matches only for statistics. Mm-hmm. And I said, Al, we, you can't do that. If you're going to do that, if you're going to throw out the matches against the Lewis, against Loyola, against Penn State, you have to throw out UC San Diego, Pacific, and Cal Baptist. And CSUN. Probably CSUN. Although CSUN... Has years of man, glory. They, were, they had moments they were of glory. Championship, so. They had moments of glory this year. Yeah. But very few and far between. Fewer than in years past. But you definitely... The bottom three this year in the MPSF were horrendous. You had to throw them out. If you were going to start using conference-only stats. So what did Al do midway through the year? Started using all the stats. <laughs> So I'm with you about the quality of play being better than it has historically been in the Midwest and the East. Well, the bottom of the East and the Midwest is still far below Doggy. the bottom. Yeah, but it's, the top isn't as far off as it used to be. It is not. I mean, it used to be in any given year you had one contender. It was either Penn State or an Ohio State or somebody east of the Rockies that had a shot at it. But now there's a couple teams out there that are perennially getting better, and that's the difference. I mean, you had IPFW in the Lloyd Ball years was really freaking good. And, uh, you know, it was not that big of a, a gap, but everybody else wasn't any good. All right, if I look at the voting... The last week, and I'm going to save a little bit of this for Jay. But to, to what you're saying, if I look at the voting, yeah, but the voting doesn't go into the committee. It's... I understand, but it's people who follow volleyball closer than the committee is my my guess. These are the head coaches. Charlie Wade votes Pepperdine number one. No, <laughs> they beat I them twice know. at the end of the season. Charlie's the yeah. I don't know. Joe Wartman says Stanford. David Niffen says Stanford, number one. Everybody else says Loyola Chicago. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, well, I'm going to save that stat. <laughs> I'm going to save a stat for you. Everybody else says Loyola Chicago. So there's, there's wide respect for Loyola Chicago and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Pepperdine, ranked number two, nearly across the board. Stanford is also in there. BYU is not? No, BYU is third. Remember, BYU put it in reverse. That's true. They were, they were bad at the end of the season. Yeah, they lost like four straight. Yeah. They put it in reverse coming in and then shifted back into drive quickly <laughs> for the MPSF championship. All right. By the way, do you have the call in? 
Uh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Jerry here they are. Here for this. <laughs> All right. I forgot about that. I was too busy raging. College Volleyball Weekly, <laughs> in association with the American Volleyball Coaches Association, <laughs> here on the net live. <laughs> what we got here, boys? <laughs> Hello. Hey, Hello. this is Penny. Yes, hey, hey how's, how's it going, Kevin? I'm still a little speechless from Selection Sunday. So I was uh, as surprised as I think everyone else that the committee went with uh, Lewis over Pepperdine. But you look right, at Penny. the criteria and that they're being Wait, it Penny, off of. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. I'm going to get really angry, and then I will give it to you. I, first, I will rage some more. <laughs> okay, Robbie. okay, okay. So. Robbie, are you there? No, Jay. Yes, I am here. What's Why is it so quiet, Jay? I thought you were on a bus. Man, way to I take control on a bus. of the kids. I'd, I'd crack the whip and I'd tell the kids to pipe down. No, Man, it, it, go. it's modern technology. You can, you can only hear my voice. It's all good. All right, Jay and Jay. Yes. thank you for being here on College Bob Weekly. I'm still upset. You can tell. I had this text conversation with Jay all day yesterday. I did not call him because <laughs> I didn't want to start yelling in the Boston airport. <laughs> yes. This bothers me. And again, no hate on Lewis. But here's the thing. First non-West school to, to get it at large since 1994. The question is, would it bother you if it wasn't Pepperdine that got the snub? Uh, yes, oh, good question, Katie. Good I'm not that question. much of a homer anymore. <laughs> I thought you were contractually obligated to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I am contractually obligated to be upset that <laughs> Pepperdine is not in. Yes. yes. All right. Vinny, yes. Lewis has one win against a top 10 school. That was in January. They have not beaten anyone else. They are the number four seed. They are, behind, they are ahead of Penn State, who beat them straight up. How on earth did this happen? Now you can tell me about uh, selection criteria. Well, you know, you, you bring up a, a lot of good points here. A, a couple things that should emphasize. First and foremost, this is the second year now that Penn State has defeated a team from the MIVA in the regular season and then be ranked below them for the NCAA tournament. So this is an odd trend that, that we're seeing developing. You know, in this matchup, it turns out to be the 4-5, so, you know, really didn't matter. But, you know, and back to the at-large bid, it, you know, obviously they went with the criteria. You know, I had a great opportunity earlier in the week on Friday to talk to Ron Shanka. He said that they were going to put an emphasis on strength of schedule, but schedule obviously wasn't enough to make up for the fact that if you break down the nine pieces of criteria, Lewis held the advantage over Pepperdine in all those areas. All right. Well, how are they holding the advantage here? They've got one top ten victory. Did they get credit for the win over Erskine, who's in the tournament? Yes. So, yeah. so oh, once again, so so the big thing you have to remember in that key area, that, that key area, that key statistical category, it is record against teams under consideration for an at-large bid or who have qualified. So by playing those matches, that match against Erskine, they got an extra win in there. That helped them out. Now, conversely, though, I think that this is one of the interesting things to talk about in this conversation is you look at Pepperdine, you know, had they have said we're going to play – let's say, three non-conference matches and go on out, they beat three conference Carolina teams, you know, including one of them being Erskine, they actually probably would have had enough then to have gotten ahead of Lewis and have gotten the at-large bid based on all the criteria. 
Vinny, I loved your breakdown of non-conference play by both Pepperdine and Lewis. It was quite an interesting read. If you haven't read it, go to offtheblockblog.com or offtheblock.com and check that out. Pepperdine has not played a MIVA or EVA team away, right, since 2004. Correct. And they have not played a team in the last two years outside of their conference. They have not hosted anyone outside their conference from the MIVA or EVA in the last two years. Right, and, and, you know, that's kind of one of the interesting things that they've done. And, and, you know, to Mark's credit, you know, this year he did decide to do a lot of games against Canadian schools' exhibition games, but obviously those don't factor into the criteria, much as um, Lewis's matches against any NAI opponents, such as Missouri Baptist, didn't factor into the criteria because it only comes down to who you play against the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I would say this in terms also when we talk about scheduling with Lewis. You know, when you talk about Lewis's schedule, you know, you, we kind of look at some of the teams, you know, they played, you know, the McKendries and those schools. But, you know, really when you look at it, other than say we're going to leave the MIVA, go to the MPSF, fly out there every other week, you know, what really more could they have done to make a more difficult non-conference schedule? I mean, they had five matches against the MPSF. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Kevin. Yeah, I'm just saying they could have won. That's what they yes. could have. I mean, they beat BYU. And, and, nobody, and as I said, nobody gets credit for UOP. They beat BYU, but they lost the other matches. I, I give Lewis full credit for scheduling that way, for scheduling as tough as they could. Absolutely, they get full credit for doing that, for playing those teams, for putting themselves out there. But when you only have one win, you lost to, to Loyola twice, you lost to Penn State, you lost to Stanford, you lost to UC Irvine. You beat BYU once. You only have really have one quality win in there if I'm looking at the top ten. And I had this discussion with Jay. Jay, I want to bring you in on the poll yep. discussion. You told me, your quote to me yesterday was, the poll was slanted by MPSF coaches. I went and looked at who voted in the poll. Okay. Fifteen coaches vote, three of whom are MPSF coaches. And I'll go down here. Chow, George Mason, right? He has Lewis in the last poll eleventh. Davis of Loyola has him at tenth. Dan Friend, head coach at Lewis, has them at ninth. OSU Hansen has him at eleventh. Lawson, eleventh. Lennox, eleventh. Pav, your own Pav has him at twelfth. Again, this is Lewis's mm-hmm. rank in the the coaches poll. Saint Francis right. says eleventh. Princeton says eleventh. And I gotta trust Princeton. I mean these are smart people over there. Schweisky, come on. <laughs> Walton, ninth. <laughs> All right, so the highest yeah. vote they got was ninth. That was two of them. One was by their own coach. And somehow they're the number four seed national. Well, like Vinny's talking about, it has nothing to do with the polls. It's, it's about the criteria that is used. And this is the same criteria that is used in a number of different championships. So, you know, as much as people are upset about what happened, uh, it, there's, there's really not much else you can do about it other than trying to figure out a way to – Beat the criteria, so to speak. If, if out-of-conference matches, win-loss record is going to be a factor, then you've got to consider, you've got to start scheduling teams outside of your conference. And once in a while, maybe travel outside of it and see what everybody else has to do in order to be considered, uh, you know, a, a higher or a better choice than a team that's doing it. Pepperdine has I love... I, I love Marv Dunphy. Marv is, is a mentor of mine. He is, he is an absolute 
great in the game. Uh, you know, he's one of the, the iconic coaches of our sport. And there's no slam against Marvin. There's no slam against Pepperdine. But when, you're, when your team does not travel anywhere, and it's notoriously known for that, don't be upset when the criteria comes down and you're not getting one of those criteria that you're not being checked, you're not being selected. Well, it's not just Pepperdine. It could have been Santa Barbara. It could have been Long Beach. could have been, but it's not. It, Vinny, if Lewis plays in the MPSF this year, where do they finish? You know, that's a really good question. You know, I, I don't think that they're finishing as low as I think the world on Volley Talk right now is making it out to be that this is a team that, you know, has two left legs and their highest player with a vertical is four inches. You know, I think that this is a team that, you know, I think that they realistically, they could have battled for a top four. I think that they were right up there with UC Santa Barbara, and I think it would have been really interesting, you know, had they played Pepperdine. I think, you know, we saw it a couple years ago, when Lewis went on out there against Pepperdine and split them, you know, obviously these are two completely different makeups of the teams, but yeah, I think that they could have been right in there in the top four. They would have definitely have gotten into the, into the postseason. How many teams beat BYU this year, Barney? How many teams beat BYU? Well, BYU backed it in at the end. Okay. So if you're going to look at the one win they had against them, you know, if you look at the, what is it? Four teams that Lewis played. And they were what two and two and two? Is that the record? Hold on. They lost, no, they lost. The only one they won was was BYU. We're we're throwing out UOP. And yeah, I'm throwing out UOP for everybody. UOP. Yeah, but they're not under consideration. UOP is a joke. I mean, UOP. If you suck them, I'm, I'm, I'm talking in general. I'm talking in general. And if you look, if you if everybody out west that's complaining about how it's the best conference all the way through, UOP is supposed to just wipe through everybody else in the country. So you can't just no. throw them out. No. I, I don't agree well, with those people that are saying that, that are saying it's that cut and dried. We were just okay, getting the same. Okay, so if you're going to throw it out uh, and you're only going to count the quality that. matches, you're only going to count the quality matches. Who are they? They're BYU, Stanford, and Irvine, correct? Correct. They're one and two. Okay, so they're one and two. Which team won the MPSF conference? BYU. And who lost to Lewis? Well, yeah, I, I give them full credit for the BYU win. So. So, so if you're going to ask them about where they're going to finish in the conference, if you beat that team, you should be pretty high, high up in the rankings, don't you think? Or at least high up in the, in the echelons of the MPS up. I would think that you would do pretty good. Not many teams beat BYU. They beat BYU in the first two matches of the year. And you're right. Then BYU goes on a streak. So BYU obviously was pretty good. And then BYU loses the last four to Hawaii, UC Santa Barbara, and UCLA. Yep. Pepperdine ranked number one for some portion of the season. I, I don't understand how, how the rankings get totally tossed out when you're dealing with the opinions of the coaches who follow and know the game. Furthermore, you're dealing with the opinions of coaches who, who play Lewis. Most well, MPSF Kevin, coaches I, didn't even vote. And, and, Kevin, you bring up a, a great point with the rankings. I, I would just let, – let's play this out a little bit more, though. Let's say hypothetically let, – let's just go through this and say – because of the situation next year, they want to revamp the criteria and add ranking. So we play that moving forward then. If you're a coach from the MPSF, why in the world then would you rank any team outside your conference Correct. in your top ten? And conversely, I mean, if I was a coach at the EIVA, I would rank Sacred Heart number two every single week. Absolutely correct. That's an absolutely yeah. correct statement. 
All right, but here, here I, I, getting to and, and, and oh, I, I'm just playing, playing that now. Conversely, of why we're not seeing rankings in there, I agree with you though that at some point you do need to consider some of that stuff when you're factoring in. But I don't think that rankings should be in the criteria. Okay, that's a, that's a valid point about the ability to manipulate that. What my point about the rankings right now is you have Midwest guys, Midwest coaches, Eastern coaches voting Western teams higher than everybody else. You have them voting them into the top ten. You have them leaving Lewis out of the top ten minus two coaches. Right. And so here, here's the thing I, I wonder. And, Vinny, maybe you can tell me this. Jay and I talked a little bit about it. What incentive is there at all for coaches in the MPSF to schedule back east? And I mean as a collective. If they just boycott Midwest and Eastern schools, what happens then? It, it, let me, let me, Vinny, let me jump in here real quick oh, because okay. I just had this conversation this morning. What incentive is there? Ask Pepperdine what incentive there is. Because if you choose not to schedule outside your conference, this is what can happen to you. Yeah, but so without the good BYU, argument itself. But without the BYU, it's a pretty good argument. Or those matches against the Western schools because they couldn't get them, what does Lewis look like? If well, you choose to take your ball and go home because the game is not formulated the way you want, then that's your own choice. But if you choose yeah. not to schedule, and then this is what happens, don't complain. Well, yeah. Well, and and, 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 oh, 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 sorry, Katie. That's okay. How would you get a collective of West Coast coaches all say, you know what, we're just not going to go because Pepperdine didn't feel like playing any out-of-conference matches in the last two years. So, no, you know, they didn't get in through the tournament. It could be your team next year that's not getting in because somebody else lost because they chose to go and play. BYU well, lost. That's the problem here. Pepperdine is if, not paying the price for BYU's loss. No. That's Pepperdine an, is that's paying the price statement. for not doing their job scheduling. Right. That's so, an, uh, so you're telling me without the BYU win, Lewis still gets in, even with a loss to BYU? No. What they, what they get is an opportunity to have an out-of-conference scheduled match. And win, lose, or draw, it is what it is. If you choose not to do it, then you don't get that criteria. No, that, well, that's well, what I'm saying. And, and, Go ahead, Vinny. Okay, and I was going to say a couple of things also when we talk about scheduling factor in the criteria. You also have to remember that in addition to – the record against teams under consideration, there's other categories such as win-loss. That's one of the category, criteria categories. There's a road, there's road record, home record. So you can schedule smartly, and let's say even if you don't play a team in your non-conference that winds up making the NCAA tournament or is under consideration, you still have an opportunity to rack up those very areas of criteria. Coach from the MPSF right now, maybe I'm looking at this situation like, okay, you know what, maybe I don't want to play a Lewis on the road, but, you know, why don't we go down the Conference Carolinas for a weekend, you know, since that's the perceived weakest conference as they're growing and emerging. Let's play three road matches against them. Hopefully we'll get – hopefully we'll play their champion. And then you look at what that tallies up that weekend. You get three victories plus, plus a big victory potentially against a team that's going to be under consideration at the end of the year. So I think you bring up a good point about, you know, scheduling. I think if you're an MPSF coach, though, you're looking at how can you strategically schedule – so the criteria can work toward you and benefit you. That's a, that's a great point. And here's the reason why they won't do it, though. What AD of a Pepperdine, Long Beach State, Stanford is going to be able to justify spending fifteen grand and going out to play Erskine, Pfeiffer, and Mount Olive at the moment? In the future, sure. that may happen because those teams will get better. I guarantee you in the next three to five years, those teams are going to get better, and they're going to start beating other teams in other conferences and it's going to become a viable conference. 
The challenge, though, is, is that they're not going to be able to justify that with their AD. But you could say, let's go to Penn State, let's go to Ohio State, let's go to Ball State. But they won't do that because they run the risk of losing the match. And then all of a sudden, they're, they're, you know, the criteria goes out the roof and they waste their that's, trip. Well, that statement that's has been point. made. That statement has been made to coaches of our conference. Why would we schedule you out at your place when we know that we run the risk of losing? Right. That's, I mean, if you want to talk about growing the game and all the stuff that everybody's talking about, that's growing the game. Take your loss as a loss or your win as a win. I don't understand what the big issue is. I know we're all trying to make our programs better and we all want to win and we all want to be successful, but the last time I checked, nobody's being fired from men's volleyball because of their win-loss record. Yeah, but, they, but you, can, you can get rehired or get a raise based on getting into the national championship. We could also you're do a lot better. Or, 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 or if you're at Ohio State, your AD gets a bonus, but yeah. Yeah, we can also grow the game and create more opportunities for coaches and for people to be able to expand. And maybe then we grow to eight, or maybe we grow to 12 teams. Who knows? But this whole bickering back and forth of this whole West Coast, East, East Coast thing is getting ridiculous. It's Vinny, the eight, you might ridiculous. get a bonus if a certain guy gets 20-plus kills in five matches. <laughs> well, the other thing, you know, we are talking about the criteria you know, Pepperdine was what, 19 and 7? 19 and 7 Lewis versus 23 and 7. And seven. So right. you're looking at four more wins, just no more losses. But you're also looking at a, what, a 1 and 3 record against the 2 and 3 record against the field. And, or against the whatever that is. And then you're looking at a 0 and 0 record. So there is no criteria for Pepperdine in that one. And that's where I think probably the biggest issue is going to come across. Well, let me, let me break out the, the four more wins. Let, let's break out the list of four more wins. That, well, never mind. I talked about it earlier. The detail wins. So I, I don't know how you keep all those wins in there when you're playing the competition that's being played. When you're when you're playing McKendry and Missouri Baptist and whomever else, if you're going to give credit for the wins, you may not get credit for an out of conference win. But Missouri if you're Baptist going to play, count because it counts as a win. It's factored nope. in that twenty three. It doesn't. No, 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 no. It, it, it's actually no, not, it's not factored not. in the twenty three. So based off the numbers okay. that the selection committee used, it was only twenty two. Only 20, okay, but still, McKendry is in there. Grand Canyon is in there three times. They're in their conference. They have to play them. I understand. Exactly. That's and right. McKendry, they gave, they gave McKendry those matches. When you, when you talked about yesterday and you texting me about a quality win against teams like McKendry, you know why they schedule McKendry. They're coming into the conference next year, and the team said, hey, we'll schedule you this year so you can get used to what's going on if we have room in our schedule. And that's what he did. Nobody complained when Cal Baptist did it. Nobody complained. And everybody says, oh, well, Cal Baptist was better. Yeah, they had eight scholarships. They had foreign players that were professional. Of course they were going to be good. But that didn't factor in when everybody's talking about McKendry and Missouri Baptist. Come on, it's got to be even on both sides. Yeah, well, and it also gets down to the other point of also there's no one else for Lewis to schedule. I mean, that's the other challenge. I mean, it's not like there was five or six. MPSF schools trying to schedule Lewis. Uh, you look at the logistical challenge it is for an MIVA and EIVA team to just complete their schedule because of the MPSF having so few non-conference dates. That's one. That's also a challenge, and why you see some of these matches. All right. Well, then maybe try and get to st- try and schedule Team Pineapple. I'm sure Lloyd Ball's club national team is available. Hey, hey you know what? That that team's pretty decent. It has to be the championship last year. What if what if they take a loss against against them? That's going to be a problem. All right, listen, I I get your guys' argument from a standpoint of growing the game. I'm not, I, and and I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit here because uh, I agree with you. You got to schedule the conference Carolinas. 
You've got to try and grow the game outside of the West Coast. If, if men's volleyball is ever going to be bigger than it has been for the last however many years. Yeah, but are you really been paying stagnant. that lip service? Because you've been complaining every time they, right. MPSF hasn't gotten No, I'm still not happy. I'm not happy about the end result. But, but the point that these guys are making, I'm, I'm on board with what it does. The, the fact that MPSF teams should schedule Eva and Miba competition. Now, let's, I don't let's, let's, talk about, let, let's talk about what should happen from this point forward. And you yep. and I briefly talked about this yesterday, Kevin. Here's, a- here's what I would love to happen. I mean, this is, this is obviously a dream scenario, but here's what I'd love to happen. I'd love for the Big West, or I'd love for the M- to, start a program, to start a conference. I'd love for the MPSF to split into two divisions. Yeah. I'd love for there to be some opportunity for some cross-interleague matches. And I'd love to see teams from the West Coast come out to the East Coast or the Midwest Throughout the course of the year, maybe there's a tournament thrown in March or in April or in you know February for that matter, where teams can come out and we can start to get some inner cross play, where people start to see, okay, this team is stepping up a little bit more. This team is not quite as good as everybody thought. Or put them on neutral courts. Why can't you have a tournament in Vegas? Tell me which coach is not going to want to go to Vegas. Granted, I know your kids might go out and have a good time, but that's your own <laughs> issue you got to deal with. But if you were to schedule a complete tournament in the middle of the season in Las Vegas, you would get a lot of teams that would go out there and be a part of that. That would be an awesome experience, and that would really expand the horizons of men's volleyball. We'll call it the NetLive Showdown. We'll sponsor it. You know what? You could call it whatever you want. I I think that would be an awesome way for people to – and you know what? It would be cheap for the West Coast teams to go out, and I know a handful of teams from the East and Midwest would go to that. And well, you could and, and the other thing, you could offset the, the cost of the trip. You could dominate at the craps table and you'd be all set. <laughs> Have you seen me play craps? We would definitely be in a hole if I were playing craps. <laughs> Go ahead, Vinny. Yeah, you know, and Jay, I was just going to add the other point to that is, you know, you can make, if you were to do that, and that's one of the things where I'm really excited that USA Volleyball came out um, in their um, state or their state of the organization report and said that they want to do something similar to that in 2015 with Division Two teams getting them in, some, in, in a neutral site and having a weekend tournament. And you can even make this a big, big opportunity beyond the games by potentially even doing links in the community to grow the game that way, or even having a boys' junior tournament take place around the same time so you're getting all those players exposed to college men's volleyball. Absolutely. It's a win-win situation. And, and I've said it before on, on the radio. If you're Cal Baptist, if you're UC San Diego, if you are, you know, Concordia is supposed to be running in here in a little bit, if you're any of those teams, or, or you know, Northridge for that matter, if you're looking at the people that you're trying to go up against week in and week out, the USC's, the UCLA's, the Pepperdine's, you're going to constantly be battling eight, nine on the teams every year to get a shot at something. Break off, create your own conference. Next thing you know, you're competing with people that are like-minded. It'd be the exact same thing as what Conference Carolina is doing. It'd be a smart maneuver. I'm not so sure that they would do it, though. And I'm all for bringing back the Weeva, if anything else. So, you know, the last Weeva champion is in Cal State Northridge and Geeter. Nice. All right. Well, guys, enough complaining from me. Uh, good job on, on the facts and, and giving us a, a picture of what's actually happening. Vinny, you do a great job there at offtheblock.com. Let's get to what's actually happening here. So we have Penn State facing off with Lewis, and the winner of that will get Loyola. Erskine and Stanford, the winner of that gets BYU. 
Give me your analysis here of these matches and predictions. Uh, Vinny, give me Penn State Lewis first because I know what Jay's going to tell me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm really excited about this um, Penn State Lewis match. I had a great opportunity to talk to um, both Mark Pavlik and Dan Friend yesterday about this matchup. They're both excited, especially when you look at how their regular season match took place. You know, that was some really great volleyball that was going on. And the big name that you're going to want to watch is going to be Aaron Russell. And it kind of sounds weird that a two-time conference player of the year might be flying under the radar. But, you know, this is probably one of the top five players in college men's volleyball right now. With the way that he has played this season, he's averaging almost four kills per game. And then the serving that he is doing, he has just been lights out at the service line. And he had about five or six aces when they played Lewis in the in the regular season. Last weekend in the EIVA tournament, as I'm sure Jay saw firsthand, he was just lights out from that service line, especially game three against Princeton. So I'm really excited to see how he goes up. And then you look across the net at Lewis. You look at that offense that they have with B.J. Bulldog, a three-time All-American setter, going hitting or staying to his pin hitters of Jeff Powell, who has just been absolutely lights out. The second half of that season has really carried Lewis to that at-large bid. And then Greg Petty, you know, the, this guy, he just continues to put up good, solid numbers, giving them multiple options. So, you know, I really think that this is going to be a match that can go four or five games, and it's really going to be some entertaining volleyball on Tuesday night. Yeah, he is. This is this is one of those matches that, you know, even though I'm obviously you know, going to vote for my team, the last time we played, uh, it was a knockdown, drag-out boxing ring fight. I mean, it, it was there was not a lot of defense going on behind because it was just so much offense. It was literally one one swing down and the next play another swing down. It was that hit the whole night. There wasn't a lot of long rallies, and so there's, it's going to be a really good match watch if you're a viewer and fan of volleyball. But it's one of those things, that, you know. In the end of it all, you know the best thing moves forward on to the next round, and 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 you'll be facing Loyola, which is not a small task. So. All right, the other match, guys, can we pretty well put Stanford through over Erskine? I mean, I, I know, Vinny, you said perceived weakest conference. We can take the perceived off of that for right now. Yeah. Let's, let's be real. Uh, Erskine, and I get the expansion plan here with Conference Carolinas, but they're in for a smashing against Stanford. I, I give their percent chance of victory about a one. Oh, oh, okay, so, so Kevin, just to throw out this fun game, and since um, Jay already mentioned uh, Vegas, we might as well put a little Vegas odds on this. If you were to do a spread for this game, we're going to say it's a sweep. What, what would you put the spread at? Total points? Are we talking total points through three sets? Yeah, yeah, to, to, total points. Total points through three sets, uh, I think 30 or 35. Ooh, low. I'd say 45 minimum. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be – I kind of agree with you. Kind of the interesting subplot of this is can Erskine take a game? I think that's going to be tough. But I think that you're going to see at least one game in here – that gets into the 20s. You probably won't see many more, but I think that they're going to push Stanford. And the one interesting thing about this match also, I had a great opportunity to talk to Stanford's coach yesterday. They really don't have a whole – they don't really have any film on Erskine because the one match they played against the MPSF this year, Erskine, they beat Cal Baptist. The film for that match actually was not properly positioned, so it's at a weird side angle, and it's so blurry they can't even make out any of the players' numbers. So they're really going into this match without any film on Erskine. Well, they weren't black on black numbers. 
<laughs> Kevin, what what is the hardest match to win? Uh, the one that you're supposed to. The one that yeah, you're supposed to. Yeah. And the reason being is everybody in the gym is expecting to rubber and move without even breaking a sweat. And that might be the case. I'm not saying that Stanford is not as good as everybody thinks and that Erskine should be in the top half of the NFL. What I'm saying is Erskine's got nothing to lose. They're the new kids at the table. They're looking around, and they're just completely overwhelmed right now with what's going on in front of them. And they're going to bring back some things to their conference, you know, like how to take video, because I heard the same thing. It was a side, side B video. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to look for. And it is what it is. You know, they're, they're going to come to this dance, and they're just going to go, you know what, let's just play. Let's let the chips fall where they may. And I think there might be a close call on those games, like the first or second game, where Erskine's going to stun them a little bit. The other thing to keep in mind is I'm not sure about James Shaw. His knee got sliced open at BYU, and he's going to have to rehab that if he's going to be – you know, 100% for the matches leading up down the line if they do get by Erskine. Now, I'm not saying he's not going to play, but this match might be one where Stanford puts in some second-string guys to let them get some experience and some playing time. And if that's the case, you never know what's going to happen. So I'm with Vinny. I think the call, obviously, is Stanford's going to win. But don't be surprised if there isn't a push from Erskine in one of those games and people kind of take notice. I think they're a little better than people expect. Yeah, I was giving you the point differential, not total points for Erskine. I was oh. trying to calculate a point differential between them and Stanford. Oh, yeah. Stanford had 75. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it could be entertaining. It, it's good for Erskine to be there. They're not going to win, but it's it's good for them to be there. And hopefully that your prediction comes true, Jay, that they do increase their level over the next few yep. years. That, that gives us yep. Stanford-BYU. Give me a prediction here, Vinny and, and Jay. I know both you guys are busy, but... Uh, we got to get this thing rolling along. But give me a prediction, Stanford versus BYU. I'm going to go with, yeah, I think Stanford in this one, especially with it being on a neutral court, it was back at Smithfield House, BYU wins. The other thing I, though, do want to add for this match, because I had a great opportunity to talk to Loyola, if you want to see that match in person, you need to buy your tickets now, because they are basically already sold out. They only have a couple tickets left, so they wanted me to get that word out here in the Chicago area. But, yeah, I think Stanford is going to be able to pull it out. You know what? I've absolutely got to agree with you on this one. I think BYU is not as strong away from home. We've talked about it all year long. We've seen the results. I mean, they were on their skin in the last five or six matches. And where were those matches? They were all on the road. Now, BYU travels well. They're going to have some fans in the stands. But this is going to be an overwhelmingly neutral place for them. And they play really well at the Smithfield House. And I'd like to see what happens here. I'm going to call Stanford in five. Right. And Ooh. the other interesting thing, Kevin, I, I should add with this, is we might have a little bit of a starting setter controversy because um, Taylor Heap is rehabbing, trying to get back, and um, Taylor Sander came out today on BYU Radio and said they would prefer Robbie Sutton setting instead of Taylor Heap setting in the um, NCAA tournament. Ah! Wow. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah, we'll interesting. Setter stuff to watch there with BYU. Yeah, they, they have a definite advantage in Smith Fieldhouse there. All right, and the other one, we're going to – I'm going to take uh, – we, we have Penn State Lewis. Pick me the Penn State Lewis one here. You know, I'm going to take Penn State. I, I think it's going to be five games. I think it's – and I'm even calling it a fifth game overtime. That's how close it's going to be. All right, Jay, I'm going to write you down for Penn State. Okay. <laughs> I will take that. <laughs> All right, Penn State and Loyola. The question is, is it better to jinx the other team by picking them? 
You want to talk about a hostile environment on Thursday if Penn State were to play Loyola. This place is going to be packed to the gills, not only because Loyola is in the gym, but there has been a few barn burner matches in the past few years since I've been here with Penn State with Loyola. Loyola beat us a few years ago here, and since then it has been a dogfight every single time we've come in. We've split all the years that we've been here. They win one, then we win one, and vice versa. This year, they had us at their place, and we won the first game, and then we lost the next three. This is going to be a knockdown, drag-out fight because it's going to be for our lives. Now, the beauty of our situation is that we go into hostile environments all the time, and none of that really faces us. In fact, we feed off it a lot. The challenge will be for Loyola. They're going to be in a position where they're going to be kind of pushed to a limit where they're not used to. They have everything to lose and nothing to gain. If they walk into that match and they're not fully prepared and ready for what's going to happen, they're going to start to tighten up a little bit. And if they don't make it out of that semi-match and play in the finals, people are going to be pretty bummed. So there's a lot more pressure, I think, on them than there is on us. I agree with Jay's assessment. The other interesting thing to watch, and this is really, you know, this is the first year that the tournament has expanded to 16s. I think one of the interesting things that we're going to start seeing, and this is especially going to be forever wins that Penn State-Lewis match, is just the potential of the fatigue because, Essentially, if, let's say, Penn State makes a run and they get to the national championship, they will have played five matches in a span of nine days. Same thing with Stanford. So, yeah, and I'm probably the last guy to talk about, you know, the fatigue and everything that could bring me. My workout regimen involves running three miles to five guys and then, you know, driving back. So, but, you know, (laughs) but I think that, you know, that could become a factor as we get move on into this tournament, just that fatigue of playing so many matches in such a short amount of time. All right. So Penn State, Lewis. Did I, did I get a pick there? Penn State and both? I was doing yes, some of this. Yes, Penn State and both. And, okay. Great. And, now Penn and then State for and the uh, – Vinny, Penn, oh, State, Penn State versus Loyola. Yeah, oh, and Penn State versus Loyola, you know, it, it's tough to go against a team that went undefeated in the MEVA. They were the first team since Ohio State in 1969 to go undefeated in a MEVA season consisting of more than 10 regular season matches and then win the MIVA tournament. I think it's going to be a five, but I, I think that Loyola finds some way to, to win it. Sorry, Jay. That's okay. I understand. Jay, I'll write you down for Penn State. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, Vinny, you have Loyola and Stanford facing off. Who gets the national championship? Yeah, I think Stanford winds up taking this, and we'll say it's going to be on a Brian Cook 8. Ooh. Point. Ooh. 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 They're, they're going to go undefeated, book and season. Wow. I like it. Wow. I like it. <laughs> Vinny, that's right. some balls right there, man. I like that guess. Wow. Right. Brian yeah. Cook is pumped. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. Brian Cook is to win it for Vinny. Jay, you've got Penn State versus Stanford. I got Penn State versus Stanford. You know, I, I'm without trying to sound like I'm a homer. Here's here's what I think is going to happen. That match is going to come down to a battle of the pins, and by the pins I mean the left and right, O one and opposite. You look at what Stanford's got, and they're putting together a really nice run of keeping that court 30 feet wide. However, our opposite this year has done a really nice job of improving steadily throughout the season, and we continue to keep that court wide as well. 
I think the game's going to come down to who can slow those guys down the most. Ball control, obviously, is always a factor, but who can slow those guys down? You're not going to contain them, but you just got to slow them down just a little bit. And I think the winner of that battle will be the ones that, that come out winning. Um, I'm not going to make any determinations <laughs> on the win-loss on that, but I'm going to say that <laughs> I'm going to say that the best team in the country will win that match. All right, so Jay has Penn State winning the national championship, as he should, and Vinny has Stanford on a Brian Cook ace taking the win. Gentlemen, anything we have missed here in our lengthy discussion, thanks for all the info, but anything we've missed that uh, fans need to watch out for, final's going to be broadcast on ESPNU, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, watch out. Go ahead, Vinny. Oh, oh, say um, one thing. Um, you know, we off the block will be there in Chicago, so we will be trying to get you as much video and as much player player interviews as possible. So just be sure to check us out. Also, at the D three level, I want to congratulate Springfield winning their third consecutive national championship. They are now <laughs> only the second. Or uh, come on, Vinny. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. But yeah, I want to congratulate Springfield. Well, I'll nice tell you what, I'd like to congratulate Springfield as well. I know, Katie, that's a little bit of a stinger, but it is what it is. Um, I hopefully will be working with Vinny on some of this off-the-block stuff, so I'm looking forward to doing that. And I'm looking forward to eating at Portillo's. That's one of my favorite places in the country. Yeah. Yeah. I, will, I will be there as often as possible holding court in the right back corner. So go ahead and find me if you can. Jumbo chili cheese dog with onions. Quick question. Oh, phenomenal call right there, Barney. That's my go-to. That was that was post-match in high school when I first started playing volleyball. We started going to Portillo's post-match. I went back ten years later. Even it might have been fifteen years later. I watched a match randomly. What did they do after the match? They went to Portillo's. Portillo's. <laughs> it was hanging That's on. Right. It gone for more than a decade. I've heard. I've heard the chocolate cake shake is apparently magic there. But well, I well listen, if you want, if you do the chocolate cake shake, that's a twenty-five hundred calorie bomb in one shot. So you know you don't get this body by Adonis by doing shakes like that. So I'll be mixing my my chili cheese dog up with a chopped salad. It'll be good. All right. A quick question on coverage: Is ESPN three doing the semis, or are we on some kind of like? Vinny, you would know more about that than I would know. Right. So um, the semifinals are going to be broadcasted on NCAA.com. It was the same place where the, um, the, the Division Three or championships were televised. The big question that I'm still trying to figure out right now is where the playing matches will be televised. And hopefully, once we find that out, I'll be able to tweet that out, and I'll try to send, I'll try to post the information on your guys' Facebook page as well. Closed circuit TV in Lockport. That's where they're going to be. <laughs> yeah. Public access 65 in Lockport. Awesome. All right, boys. I'm going to walk you to the gym for a practice. I enjoyed the commentary, and we'll see you guys on the flip side. All right. Jay, good luck. Good luck, good luck to Penn State. Vinny, thanks everybody. so much for the information. Glad your Kickstarter campaign came through, and you are in Chicago. And everyone should look to offtheblock.com for all their volleyball information. Thanks, Vinny. Thanks, Jay. Or, or thanks, Kevin. All right, we'll and, see you. And if you didn't get anything out of this, if you're in Chicago, go to Portillo's. That's really the moral of the story here. You can't lose. If you, you go to lose. Portillo's while you're in the Chicago area, you cannot lose. I don't even like hot dogs, but I like Portillo's. Oh, man, Portillo's. You, you, can't, you don't have to have just hot dogs. Nope. It's the bottom line. They, yeah. they have burgers. They have your chocolate cake shake. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever you want to have. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've given you more college volleyball than perhaps you ever wanted. We're going to be right back with some discussion about 
Beach Volleyball. And maybe Katie and I will fight it out. It should be uh, should be entertaining. We could fight it out, Katie. Maybe hug it out. We'll hug it out. <laughs> oh, boy. We're lovers here on the Net Live, not fighters. Here's Love Live right back. Back to the net live here on Volleyball Magazine. Thanks for being here. That's love life. That was a free download from Starbucks. I, I'm digging it. I've got another song by them too. Maybe we'll play that later uh, for you, Katie. Passing the DJ responsibilities over to me after that one. Don't be grumpy, Katie. Don't be grumpy. We want to make sure we thank Six Eight Clothing Company. They joined us here. We saw them up at the ABCA convention. They have come on board here with the net live. Six Eight Clothing Company is a casual clothing company designed by a tall man for a tall man. And you wonder, Katie, why that's important? You've seen tall guys dressed in bad clothes. Anyone can make a pair of jeans longer, but you don't have to be a genius to figure that out. It's the little things. Consider the size of a pocket. How big are my hands? Way bigger than your average mammal. So you have to be able to get those in the pocket. They make their pocket openings wider and the pocket itself deeper so you can get your hands in and out without having to call 911 for emergency assistance. Katie. 
Just one way that 6-8 Clothing is different. Dress well, live tall, 6-8 Clothing Company. Available online at 6-8ClothingCompany.com. That's the number 8, not the word 8. So go over and check them out. Anybody over 6-6. I mean, I'm 6-6. I wear their clothes. I'm wearing shorts today, so I don't have them on. But I was full 6-8 yesterday on my flight back. Pants, undershirt, shirt, looking tight, handsome, put together, <laughs> instead of all flooded out like I normally am. <laughs> so I want to thank the companies that are supporting this program right here. Also, thanks to ABCA for their continued support as we brought you College of Oil Weekly early. I just had to lead with it. It's the big news for the week. It is the big news, and I will take Stanford to win. I have Penn State over Lewis. I have Loyola over Penn State. I have Stanford over BYU. So there's your there's your non-seeding pick right there, Stanford over BYU. And then I actually I have Stanford winning. And I said this a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago. I think Stanford's really good. And I've not seen Loyola this year. Uh, everyone, and I'll take it the word from the poll that Loyola is good. Loyola is very good. You don't rank. You don't stay ranked number one all year long by sucking. That's for sure. But I will take Stanford. I think they have the veteran leadership. But you know there are some questions, Katie. You were telling me about James Shaw, and yeah. the guys briefly mentioned it. Yeah, they took a took a fall, ran into something during their match, and had a pretty nasty gash that they had to kind of patch up on the sidelines this weekend. And it's going to be mobility could end up being an issue. It's at a joint, so that kind of makes it a little tougher. So as long as he didn't need stitches or it wasn't too crazy, he should be fine. And I'm pretty sure he'll suck it up no matter what. So, I mean, I I agree with you on this one. I think Stanford's going to take it all. Um, Sorry, Jay. Sorry, Jay. Sorry, Jay. We love you, Jay. Even though I'm from Pennsylvania, I can't stick with the Penn State choice on that one. But I do think they're going to beat Lewis, and I think Stanford's going to beat Erskine. And I think Loyola is going to beat Penn State. And I think Stanford's going to beat BYU. And I think it is going to be a rockin' house for a Loyola-Stanford final. And I think Stanford's uh, full body of work over the year is going to pay off. And they're going to win it. Do not mistake my arguing for any disrespect to Dan Lewis, or Dan, Dan Lewis, Dan Friend. Dan Lewis is a Canadian volleyball player. <laughs> played forever on the national team. Also played against him when he was in Manitoba. Uh, don't mistake it for any disdain toward Dan Friend and what he has done over there at Lewis, taking over that program and making it a national championship contender. So congratulations, Lewis. Wish you the best of luck in the final six. And I'm glad there's a final six. Yep. And we talked about this earlier. Not qualifying. Not qualifying the uh, disagreement with the committee over right. the teams that are about to step onto the court. I'd rather see eight. And that's for everybody. Everybody. I'd rather see eight. Eight makes more sense. You could have four matches. That would be better. But I know they're working on it. And one of the ways they're trying to get there is by including Erskine, putting all, Erskine in there. Then all four of those first matches would be on closed-circuit television in Lockport. That's right. <laughs> no one would be able to see it. That's right. So <laughs> They've closed the racetrack. Now they're doing volleyball. So, Jay, and I've heard this brought up so many times about the MPSF splitting into two divisions. Good idea. Big West, some other conference picking it up. What about Big 12 or Big 10? Big 10 makes sense. They have teams. They have facilities. They have players. There's been some rumbling out of the University of Michigan. Yeah, about moving over to a varsity side with the men's team. They have a, a really strong men's club team, um, and I think that's if they can get it through. But we're gonna <laughs> we're okay. not having the Title IX discussion today, Kevin. <laughs> you know what they need is a corporate sponsor. Yeah, this is going to come down to corporate sponsors. And there's been discussion lately about how long it is until you see, particularly on the NBA, 
jerseys with sponsors. You've already seen it in the WNBA. But that is a machine that doesn't make money, so you have to use every avenue. Worldwide, anyone that has seen an international volleyball, basketball, soccer jersey... Couldn't tell you what the name of the team is, because it's not on there. But no. <laughs> and their sponsors sure are. But they know Banco de Brazil. <laughs> so, how long till you see that happen? Could you see it happen in collegiate volleyball? That's going to depend some on that, uh, the unionizing and where the money's going to go and... You know, the discussions, the larger discussions that have been happening about profits and all that good stuff. Yeah, volleyball and a lot of other smaller sports are going to get swept up in whatever happens with football and basketball here. And and I've said before in this program, I agree that the NCAA at this point is completely wrong. The dollar figures they're dealing with are not amateur dollar figures. They are professional dollar figures, but they are continuing to try and maintain a amateur workforce. And well, that will not stand. That's going to fall at the question of where. They're trying to make it and as somebody who played a quote-unquote minor sport, they're trying to make the rules the same for everybody when the reality of the situation is football and basketball are just a whole different ball game. And therefore, they either need to separate them out or they need to figure out a way to work this. I mean, in the argument when does the department make money, do they not make money, it comes down to an athletic department is a line item in a budget. It's also and they're an not meant to make money. Right. Yes. They're not necessarily meant to make money. It, you're an expense to the school. It's paid for by your students, dollars, whatever the case may be, booster funds that come in, and then anything you make off the NCAA stuff. Now, half of everything that comes in from NCAA appearances and stuff goes to your general fund. That's the whole point of some of the NCAA stuff. That's bowl games. That's yeah. NCAA championships. So it's not all benefiting the athletics. But in reality, the dollar totals are just so different. And if you're talking about – I think the argument about whether or not a department makes money isn't the right argument because they're not meant to make money. If they make money, it's just a bonus because they're actually meant to be a line item like the music department or the theater department. And we look at it in terms of, well, if they, you know, they make so much money, blah, blah, blah. Well, anything they make above and beyond the deficit they're going to be on a line item budget should be dispersed elsewhere. I can't speak to the finances at particular schools. There's always the argument about whether it makes money or doesn't make money when it comes to many of the high-level football and basketball programs. I can't really speak to those numbers, but when you're dealing with a versus academic discussion, the music department, they're not making crap. They don't have a chance to make anything. Well, some of them, yeah, that's, but yes. There might be one or two exemptions, right? Fine. But they're not making money. They don't have a chance. And I wonder with the sports, the thing about sports is your music department in 99% of cases, is probably not a good advertising vehicle for your university to attract students and tuition, where sports is. And granted, there will probably be a couple. Somebody could point out, you know, Juilliard, probably. Okay. But you're probably not drawing people in with your theater program, with your uh, drama program, with your musical program, with orchestra program, whatever it may be, even remotely near you're not sports. pulling in a general department. student based on that. No. Correct. But you, you are through athletics. You're not pulling in the fans, people that want to go to your university because they love watching football. They don't play football. They love to be a part of that whole scene. In addition, with things like football and basketball, we're talking about men's basketball only here. Parking, tickets, concession sales, memorabilia, memorabilia sales, jerseys, pens, everything associated with the university that the athletic team ends up pushing. 
all those things, and you wonder when you see those numbers about whether it made money or didn't make money, how much those numbers are factored into whomever is trying to have the discussion, right? If you don't like athletics, you're trying to remove everything you can. If you like athletics, you're trying to pack it all in. I get it. But those are certainly factors that don't exist in anything else, even any other sport. And I'm sorry, women's basketball. I know you get treated as though you are an equal because that is the way things have developed. But you are in no way an equal. Women's basketball, you are the same as men's volleyball, essentially, or women's volleyball. In some cases, you are worse than women's volleyball when it comes to your level of advertising, ticket sales, revenue, attention, and benefit to the university. I know you have men's basketball, which makes you feel good because you get all the money. When, if you're the coach, you get paid a ton of money. And your program gets on TV because ESPN has to do it. I understand. I understand how you feel. But you're with the small sport community. That's who you're with. You're just glomming off of the men's basketball success. And I would separate men's basketball, men's football from everybody, as, as you should. Those two things are nothing like what the rest of the athletic department looks like. And when a college considers athletics as part of what they're doing, you know, you're not – you're not looking at any of that stuff. If, if you look at admissions numbers, especially at larger universities with high-profile sports programs, if you look at the level at which your athletes give back to the university, is actually about 25% higher than the general student population. So when the school considers how much they're going to throw into an athletic budget and why they're okay with them really not making money ever, it's because the general benefit to the university as a whole is far higher just far higher than anything else. Because if you look at any of those numbers, it's, it's pretty ridiculous how much more athletes they give back to their universities and how much more the, when a program is doing well that the general boosters give back. I mean, you see a, considerable, a considerably larger give back, and that's really what the universities are interested in. Also, I know you hear this. I know this is a stat. When a school wins a national championship in football or basketball, enrollment and applications go through the roof. Mm-hmm. Ask UConn right now if the money they put into those programs is worth it. You bet. It allows them to up the academic profile of their university. It allows them to look better to their board of trustees. It allows them, they can justify the expenditures on athletics because it drives at a much higher level than anything else, what you're going to see coming back to the university. Now, there's your exceptions on the women's side. Yeah. UConn, Tennessee, maybe Baylor nowadays. Yeah. There are some. It's steep after that. The drop-off is precipitous. Where in the men's game, you You're could probably like name 35 off, or 40 schools at the top of that thing. That are top. Yeah. Then you could name another 35 or 40 that are below that, probably another 35 or 40 below that, before you start to experience some sort of significant drop-off. I mean, look at VCU. Who would have ever thought they'd be at the top of men's basketball? And now they're sitting in the... And they're putting, they're, they're very happily paying that coach about $1.5 million a year because VCU's never seen so many applications in their life. Ask Gonzaga how their basketball program affected uh, registration, affected application. It's huge. You can't advertise that way. You cannot run a commercial that is two hours on television with the name of the university (laughs) across their chest and fans going nuts, bleeding whatever color. Well, Florida Gulf Coast last year. (laughs) Let me tell you how many people started applying to that university after their little basketball run. So it's, I mean, it's just... Unbelievable. And when I sit down, I sit down and work with athletes now, and they 
maybe they're early in their process and they're like, I want to go to a school I've heard of. They're not yes. interested in anything. And that's really the biggest thing. They start naming off these schools. I start thinking, holy crap, you can't play there because they don't realize, they don't know anything about the school other than that they're successful in basketball or football or something along those lines. It's incredible to see. I like drama. I do too. But unless you're Yale drama I like school music. or USC film school, you're probably not attracting the general student because of... I'm sorry, academia. Your English class that you love, that you put your heart and soul into, and we, we're talking about Huck Finn, and we're talking about Raisin in the Sun, and oh my God, it's so those the stuff of life. life. It's the stuff of life. No one gives a rat's ass when they're making their choice to come to your university, largely. You're not attracting an extra two or three or four or 10,000 applications because of your English class. You just don't drive the dollars. You drive a Volvo. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of a sad commentary on things. However. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, but that's the way it is. And academia always wants to get upset that sports are ruling the day and that running over. Not this everywhere. That, eh, but, you know. I mean, you have to kind of either see it as a vital part of your campus life and understand the, the reasoning for athletics. And, you know, when we talk to students as they're looking at colleges, whether they're going to play or not play, we talk about marketable skills upon graduation. Like your English yeah. class, unless you're going to be an English teacher. Or a writer or an editor. English major. Worthless. <laughs> you know, the, the marketable skills you're going to have for being an athlete or being in drama or being in music or these extracurricular activities is your time management skills, your competitiveness. You know, if you're working for those kind of things, those are the things companies are interested in. And so we talk about the marketable skills about being challenging yourself all the time versus what you're getting in a classroom. Because the stuff you're getting in the classroom, you know, I, the stat right now is 85% of college graduates don't work in the field that they studied. Right. So what are you doing to prepare yourself to actually have a job when you graduate? And it's those other marketable skills are really important. And so understanding that drawing the students in, great, wonderful, but finding a way to get them marketable skills upon graduation is more important. And credit to all the other extracurricular activities. Yeah. Credit to music programs, drama programs. Community service programs, to, to anything that the students are doing where they have to manage being a student with real life. Preach it. Preach it, Katie Charles. No, that, and, and that's true. And that goes for any of those programs that you're right. You're learning to manage yourself under a set of varying demands. Well, and this is kind of the disconnect for football and men's basketball a little bit because those guys don't have marketable skills when they're done because so much is done for them. Right. It becomes a little bit of a, like, whereas, hey, being maybe not a major sport means you've got to be on your stuff a little bit more but you're not babied through the process quite as much. And if you look at the people who didn't make it into the professional game and they just kind of you know, did their thing. And Everyone they, from they Arkansas no, through the 80s and 90s. Yeah, they now have no marketable skills, even though they were a college athlete, because they, they never were managing themselves at any point. No, in fact, when they were failing to manage themselves, that importance of mission flips. If you're a great basketball player or a great football player in one of the top 40 or 50 programs, because everybody thinks, oh, if it's Duke in basketball or if it's Florida State in football, those are the guys that are, that are getting all that help and being put through just for their athletic ability. It happens at every university because it's not about what the top level is on TV. It's about what's the top level of the university. They're trying to maximize that advertising component every time out and if you don't have your marquee players out there you're you as a university are not maximizing that component well look at how many wash out in their first couple of years as pro athletes they can't manage their money they can't manage themselves they get caught up in substance problems you know you're looking at people that are just not capable of 
managing life. their life, <laughs> life because they've never had to do it and they come from backgrounds where nobody around them maybe ever had to do it and they just they haven't learned it. There is no accountability held there and that's a big problem with the professional athletes, especially coming from sports where they're handheld through every process, every – no, I think – you know, you mentioned Duke. I don't – those kids tend to not have that kind of a problem. Um, no. Because you look at the kids, they're actually in school, in school. And there's schools that do it right. I mean, you look Absolutely. at some of those universities, but then you look at, like, Kentucky men's basketball. Good God. Everybody leaves after their freshman year. Those kids haven't had enough time to to even figure out what they're going to do with themselves for a semester, let alone for a full year. Yeah, you can't fault the coach for that system right now. And I don't think you can fault the university either for the one-and-done opportunity that's out there you can't fault the university for their kids making bad choices no you can't but you either have that means there has to be some sort of mentoring set up for those athletes when they get in not gonna no probably not not gonna matter because the ones that want it will already be able to do it and the ones that don't aren't gonna listen anyway so i remember myself and i i i've heard a good quote from another pro athlete who said you know you don't think anybody sat me down and talked to me (laughs) Yeah, they sat me down and talked to me, but it doesn't matter. If if I'm not listening, it doesn't matter who said it. Yeah, yeah I look back and think I should have listened, but that's life. And so, yeah, if the, if the kid is not going to listen, if the the will from the kid is not there, there's nothing the university can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, but they'll get the fallout from it. Yeah, you know, there are winners and losers in life for a lot of reasons. Yep. And it's not as a lot of folks would have you believe, just outside forces and someone conspiring against them and some system rigged, there are a lot of people who aren't very capable of life out there. And that's what you find out. It's funny to me with the unemployment figure when they say, well, you know, we need to get the unemployment figure down to 5%. Or if it's at 8%, that's bad. You go, have you met that 8% of the population? I've met a couple of them, I'm pretty sure. They're not employable. You can't employ those people. You can't save those people from themselves. Well, some you, of them you can, some of them you can't, but that's... You wouldn't want them in your company. <laughs> well, it depends on what kind of employment we're talking about, too, but that's a whole other... Even if you're running to McDonald's, some of these people, you'd have them on the fry cooker <laughs> and you'd wonder, what the hell are you doing over there? There are some people who give interviews that are college athletes that I wouldn't want to employ ever. <laughs> True. I mean, I listen to them and I think, English, you should have learned it by now. Listen. You know, it's one of those... Yeah. You, you can't... <laughs> there's, there's no accounting for taste, I guess, is the best way you put it. You have to look at it. And you see the people, like... You can listen to an interview after a game and know whether or not a coaching staff is doing their job or not doing their job. <laughs> if you put a kid in front of a camera who can't be understood or, you know, you just look at it. It's, it's you either know how to best market your program or you don't. And you know how, who is able to be handled and who isn't. This is something that I've, I've said recently, no revelation, but diction matters. Oh, yeah. When, when I'm walking the streets of a big city, and there are people walking by, and you're listening to the people that are there working, that are just in the street, and you look at the job they have, they happen to be there on the job, you go, that's why you have the job that you have. If you walked into a job interview for anything above the level of what you do, no one would give you the time of day. You cannot speak the English language. You cannot speak with intelligence, and you may be smart, but if you can't, it's very difficult to get ahead. Very difficult. And the other thing for me as an athlete, anyone who is a professional athlete was given a gift, genetically a gift, that that was possible. It takes hard work, 
for some more than others, depending upon what you were given. But you were given that opportunity. You were given that particular speciality. If you're fortunate enough to have gone professional and done it and maximized that, there is somehow a disdain for athletes who don't find themselves afterwards. And I object to that. Because, unfortunately, the gift that we are given only lasts a third of your life. Maybe if you're lucky, a third of your life, right? If you're lucky on the long end, if you're lucky on the long end of your career and the long end of your life, it might be a third, figure 33 and 99. It probably is more like five to seven years across a lot of sports. Mm -hmm. Five to seven years. If you're really... you're a golfer. Sure. But (laughs) say five to seven years. Of your life of, let's say, 76 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a pretty small piece. Less than 10%. But that's your gift. Other people have other gifts. They're very good with numbers. They can talk people into buying anything. They can get a drowning man to buy a glass of water. People have other gifts. Some athletes don't have another gift. Some athletes don't have more to give than that beautiful thing, whatever it may be. And somehow there's a disdain that they didn't make more of themselves, or that they lost all their money, or that they fell off the map afterwards. They, they went back to poverty, or whatever. William Refrigerator Perry. There is a disdain for that. <laughs> and I ask, Why? Well, for for going from being glorified to being normal, to being but an why, average citizen. Why the disdain? Person goes through life. You're lucky enough to find the the square hole for your square peg, right? You find your spot in life. Accounting, business, coaching, whatever it may be, in the entertainment industry. Whatever it may be, if you are lucky enough to find that place, you can be there virtually limitlessly mm-hmm. based on your own ability. You can be there. Athletes don't have that luxury. When our gift is up, it's up. And it burns bright, and then it fades. And then we as individuals, athletes, have to find something else. We have to find some other way, some other exceptional skill, well, or at least even, decent. Right. But at, at some point, the realization is that the athletes that make it are the ones that were all along cultivating something else along with their love of sports. You know? It's the people that never think beyond that short professional career. Like, maybe you're good at something else and you just never bothered to do it, whereas the people that will end up succeeding are the ones that bothered to do something else bothered to think about something else, bothered to continue to consider other options. You know, I'm sure when, you know, professional athletes are done playing, like all along, if you look, I mean, this is going to sound ridiculous. Look at Shaquille O'Neal. He's back in school and got a freaking PhD. <laughs> no, really I don't know what it was in. He got a PhD. <laughs> he really get he one? actually got a PhD. The big Aristotle. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it was in, but he got, I mean. It, he has the same degree as David Giffen. Yeah. <laughs> Distinctly possible. But, I mean, it's just one of those things where if if you have the luxury of continuing to cultivate something that you're interested in, then there's a chance you can do something else. Even if you're not as, say, gifted at, you know, teaching or coaching or, you know, even working in business or 
marketing of some kind, if you at least pay attention to the trends or what's happening or you're doing something other than spending every minute of your life, considering the tiny second that you're in, I but mean, it takes that. It it doesn't. It doesn't. Like there, ha- if if there's some balance there, there's a chance that you end up okay. If you're not Michael Jordan or you know LeBron James, where you don't, you're not going to need to do anything after you're done. Yeah, if your gift is that exceptional. It's if you're if you're realistic about where you are, because a lot of professional athletes are unrealistic about where they are. Males. They, for, yeah, males. that would probably let's be just, the better way to put it. Male it's, professional it's, athletes. Yeah. Male professional athletes are unrealistic about where the, where, they, where they really fall in the pecking order. We've said this before. If you talk to women on a basketball team, uh-huh. there's one thinks she's going pro, maybe two, right? Yeah. Like going to the WNBA or play in Europe, right? On the men's team? Everybody's going. One to 15 thinks they're going. <laughs> Including the dude who hasn't been off the bench yet. <laughs> he hasn't been off the bench in three years. He's convinced all he has to do is get out there for a half and the NBA will discover him. Well, have you ever heard the guy that he runs? It was called Club Trillion. Uh, do you ever read it? It was the Ohio State basketball player who's like, the goal used to be get into the game. So you play for one minute and all your line would be zeros. So it would be a trillion would be the number. The one zero, zero across the board. He used to write a blog about being the dude that got in for that last minute. Nice. And doing nothing. And he turned that into a successful, like, he wrote a couple books. Now he writes for um, Bill Simmons's Grantland. He okay. writes for Grantland on ESPN. I mean, if you look at that, like, he was realistic. He's like, I got a scholarship. I played in college. I got paid basically to be a college athlete for four years, and I never had to step on the court except for one minute a game. <laughs> and there's the NCAA yeah. doing something positive for right. people. Well, Paying and all we ever see people. is the other end. Yeah, I, it's it's the question of balance. Right. It's the question of balance, and and it's out of balance at the top. It's certainly in balance for and favorable to the athlete at the other end, yeah. at the men's volleyball end. <laughs> You know, when 4.5 is your total scholarship allotment, and you have 18 people to 20 people on your roster. Yeah, I mean, well, well, they're still they're still paying bills. But and this, the reality of the situation, and we talk about this with athletes, and they were like, "Well, you know, what does it mean if schools are looking at me and they're these big schools and they don't give scholarships to DSs?" I said, "You do realize, like, only 12 kids out of the 20 people on that roster are on scholarship. There's two thirds of a team that are not. Yeah. So where do you follow that? It's an interesting." perception people have. They just assume if you're on one of those big timers, you're on a scholarship where that's not true. I'm not sure what B.J. Evans is upset about. I can't read the chat for Diction, she says, uh, stop talking now. And Tim Killian says, my political career is already over. <laughs> no, it, uh, perception matters, period. And it matters in the athletic career. It matters elsewhere. And, and the discussion about trying to figure out how to do something else, well, if you're an accountant at one of the big firms, maybe in your, your time on the side, you're doing something else to sw- try and switch careers, or you ought to be planning for your second career? No. No. <laughs> so why so is it true of an are, athlete? But they, you know. Maybe some people are. Some people are. But why, why is it true of an athlete? If you're trying to be the best accountant, you're trying to be one of the top partners, you're going to be a partner at a top firm. You should, in your spare time, do something else on a, on a career-type level? People call those hobbies in case they're interested in doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but hobbies don't turn into careers. I mean, I, Sometimes they do. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It does. We're not talking <laughs> to black and white. Says the guy doing motocross. <laughs> Says the guy doing motocross and now broadcasting it. Drink. Except I brought it up, so I don't think that counts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. only counts if I bring it up. Uh yeah, I, here's my problem, too. You get stuff like this, like you can't touch the, the third rail of something. It, it bothers me personally. This is a, a total non-sports thing, but it bothers me personally that you can't have discussions about things anymore today. Mm-mm. You largely can't talk about things like race and class. 
You can't talk about um, some of the touchy issues that are out there. When you ought to be able to discuss them, you ought to be able to have an intelligent discussion about what's happening. Now, whether this, this is about to evolve into a Donald Sterling conversation because I'm not ready for well, that yet. But well, here's here's my thing about Donald Sterling. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> Shouldn't have touched that one, I feel like. (laughs) Donald Sterling could be a despicable human being. Everything I've ever read, essentially, says that he's a pretty despicable guy. Mm -hmm. Okay. I quoted on Twitter yesterday uh, Adam Silver, Mm -hmm. NBA commissioner. And let me pull up his quote because I I think it matters. And it matters to to the American ideal, this quote from – from the commissioner of the NBA, okay? His quote, the core of the investigation is understanding whether the tape is authentic. Mm-hmm. The tape has not been authenticated. We all know that everything on the Internet is just totally true, right? Absolutely. So TMZ never made a mistake, right? So it looks as though, from some of the stuff around it, that it might be authentic. But we don't know. All this condemnation, all the uproar, all the protests, everything else. Well, I just heard that two of their sponsors pulled out already, too. I mean, they lost CarMax and they lost State Farm. And well, so, but that's without any authentication or any, like, they don't yeah. know yet if it's even real. And so, if it comes out that it isn't, then do you go back hat in hand? I mean, <laughs> look at what happened to well, Tiger that's Woods. The problem. When all of that went down. Nobody was paying him to be a good human being. They were paying him to be a good golfer. Duke University. I've asked this question on the show recently. You remember Duke and the lacrosse program? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the incident? Mm-hmm. They were accused of raping a stripper, basically. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the, ju- the, the adjudication? They canceled the season. Mm-hmm. Kicked a couple of kids out of school. I will now live with that Do forever. Do you remember what the adjudication of that situation was? Yeah, the stripper was lying, and it wasn't... A hundred percent. Yep. She just went to jail for killing her boyfriend this year, a few months ago. Killing him. Convicted to jail. Not accused. Convicted in jail. Nobody remembers the actual adjudication of that. That the kids didn't do anything. (laughs) She made it up. Completely. A complete fabrication. The, the, not, I want to say 80, but the... um, Prosecutor, yeah. the DA, district attorney. Yeah, he was politically motivated to try and move up, so he took it and ran with it. He was disbarred. Did that get on the front page? Sure Hell did. no. <laughs> That's in page ten, if it made the paper at all. Now, Donald Sterling, pretty despicable person, the way he's treated his franchise, the way he's treated some people around him. There's a history. If you watch ESPN, there's a history. Not a good guy. If it's true, crush him. Have at it. If it comes out that it's false, we've made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, today in the political and media culture that we're in, just the accusation is enough. Ruin somebody. And the person making the accusation, they don't have to have any credibility. Yep. Well, if you remember after everything happened at Penn State, then there was the tapes from something at Syracuse. Oh, right, coach, Bernie right? Fine. Right, and right. that ended up being his ex-wife throwing him under a bus or something along those lines. I mean, there's just stuff that... He's suing ESPN now. <clears throat> well, he has every right to. They 
basically firebombed his career without any kind of justification or any backup to it, and it ended up being a false story. <laughs> What's the chat board going wild over there? What are eh, we they're listening. <laughs> no, I, I oh. just want people to wait. Figure it out for sure. If you can authenticate the tape, and it's him, it's him. Then rip him to shreds. Go for it. Yeah. It's, and it goes the other way, too, where it's the alleged gunman. We have him on tape walking down the street shooting people. What do you mean the alleged gunman? He is so the gunman. He did it. <laughs> yeah, on the news, they always go, the alleged murderer. <laughs> somebody watched him on TV walk up and shoot somebody. He's not the alleged anything. He is the guy. There's no this alleged about quick it. quick trial. Yeah, there's no alleged anything. But in this case, there is alleged, we don't know, if the tape is real and they can come out with some suitable proof that, yes, this actually happened, especially in today's technological environment where you can make almost anything, audio, video, photograph, mm-hmm. right? Then crush him. Have at it. He's a bad dude. And his remarks are atrocious. I'm all for it. I'm not defending Donald Sterling one bit. I'm frustrated with the process. Mm-hmm. And the way it's handled more than anything, because everybody wants the headline, but nobody wants to do the work it's, to hold the headline until they know for sure that that's, they want to be the first one to break it, not the first one to authenticate it. It's fun to be outraged. It's easy, it? to be outraged. easy to be outraged. I don't like Lewis in there. I'm outraged. But when you look at the criteria, what Vinny said, he's right. Yeah. He's right. Now I can still have my outrage and have really fun. really good thing you told him that while you were on the air with him. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, he's right. Our program is entertainment. Yeah, that's true. It's fun to be on the we, other side. We of are it. basically the only volleyball program, so we have to be a little bit of news every now and then. So you get what you get. Here's, we're going to come back and talk a little beach. We're going to give the, the music over to Katie. She looks like she's ready. Hang on. She's pulling something up. You're listening to the Net Live here on Volleyball Magazine. Thank you to 6-8 Clothing. Dress well, live tall with 6-8 at 6-8clothingcompany.com. That is the number 8. The rest of it is all words. Make sure you check them out and also the ABCA for their support of this show. And we would not be here without the efforts of our co-host, Jeremy, who's out, and Katie, who is here. Yeah, Thanks holding down the here. fort. Let's do this. We'll be right back on the Net Live. A little bit, be- a little bit of beach talk. Couldn't get it out. All right, what are we going here? We're going with the bleachers. bleachers. I just played this in the car on the way to work this morning. Mm-hmm. All right.
like that song. That was one of those 98.7 best new song of the year this week. That's the radio son, station around here. My son loves that. He loves that feature. Now he's mad because they got rid of Kennedy and they hired a bunch of people to do another morning blah, blah talk show and he wants music. Oh, yeah. The morning talk show isn't as good. So we were playing bleachers this morning. On to some beach here, Kevin Barnett and Katie sitting in. Thanks for being here. At some point, it's not sitting in anymore. It's the, it's the K&K. <laughs> it's here. It's the, the, the K&K show, Kevin and Katie. All right. So... Beach, Norseka for the men. They were at the Cayman Islands. Can I go to this event? That's an event I want exactly. to go to. Exactly. Can I? I'll go work that one. <laughs> the Grand Cayman. Invite me in. I will. I will do whatever. I will Hopefully carry Todd Rogers' bag. It's no problem. <laughs> I will carry his bag to the championship and then away from yet another win for the professor. The professor victorious with his partner Theodore Bruner. Good old Theo. They uh, they defeated in the finals. They beat Montgomery and Slick. Stafford Slick, he's, he's got a great name, doesn't he? He's, great name. You were saying he should be a villain, and I agree. Absolutely. I, I think he should go NWO style. It should be like the fake painted-on black, black beard, like Hulk Hogan when he was I just part of New World Order. So yeah. It's a little bit lost on me, but I appreciate it. Those who in the late 90s saw that will understand that Stafford Slick should look like that. He, <laughs> he should dress up. But uh, Slick and Montgomery took the first set, 21-13, only to... Uh, lose the second set, 23-21, so it was close, and then 16-14 in the third. What a match that must have been. So, good job. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry, Montgomery and Slick saved three match points against Rodriguez and Haddock in the semis. I see. I was looking at the wrong match there. Let me go back (laughs) to the top Not as close to the finals, baby. No, 21-12, 21-18, sorry. Uh, So, uh, two sets to none victory for... Rogers and Bruner, 12 and 18. It was the semifinal where Slick and Montgomery were victorious in that close match where they won two deuce sets. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's underway. I don't know how many people got to go to the Grand Cayman to watch this match. But keep your eye on, on this partnership. Certainly another one of these where the professor is teaching a young player some of his knowledge. On the women's side of the game, they were in Fuzhou. I'm going to go with Fuzhou. Fuzhou, China. and going to let you pronounce that one. Carrie Walsh and April Ross, I think as a lot of people expect, are going to be the team to beat. They won 21-11-21-18 over Juliana uh, Silva and Maria Antonella, Antonelli. Uh, that was a good final for the Americans. Just 33 minutes, and they take the first gold Oof. of this year. 33 minutes. 33 minutes. All right. So Walsh and Ross had to come back uh, earlier in the morning to defeat the Chinese team, one of the Chinese teams. And uh, congratulations to those two. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of them. Assuming Carrie stays healthy, no reason to believe she won't. She's had just a shoulder issue, and other than that, had kids with her breaks. Uh, This is going to be a, a heck of a team and fun to watch this year. Last year, a bit of a power outage for the American women on the beach side of things. Mm-hmm, a little bit. This year, off to a good start. Gold medal. We miss Jeremy with the beach discussion. Yeah, I know. Sure. Well, we can go to the men's side for a little bit. They're over there in the Shanghai qualifier. Uh, yeah. It's looking the lineup for that is looking this week. There's four teams, four American teams in it. We've got uh, John Hyden and Triborn. If they win their another first round, old young. Old young, and but if they win the first one, they're matched up immediately with Ryan Doherty and Nicholas Senna, which means we can only get three teams through that first round, which 
And then the other ones are uh, Patterson and Gibb and Rosenthal and Dahlhauser. We need like a full-time beach correspondent, maybe Cam Kerr. We need a full-time beach Which Canadians person. Canadians are on the... Uh, <laughs> The beach and here. Cam Kerr does a tremendous job. <laughs> does this just mean you and I sound pathetic talking about beach because we're definitely indoor people and we don't have Jeremy sitting here today? I only have so much time to follow sports. Some of it I get paid to follow. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yep. Some of it I just get outraged. <laughs> well, I'm thankful to the Spike Town page this morning. Or I wouldn't even have realized that uh, <laughs> we were any beach going on this weekend as I was stuffed in a convention center in Minnesota. So unless we're going to start talking girls club volleyball, I'm out on that one. Yeah, we're not going to do that. Nope. Just no no fan base for that one as far as listening goes. Unless it's their parents. But yeah. y- you should go over to Facebook and yeah. like Spike-Town. Spike-Town. It's a Matt Gardhoff production. It's about to be a real deal. We're going to launch a website with a Spike Town Council and everything. And uh, the shows on Jay Hossick will be one of them. I'm on it. Heaven help us all. I'm not quite sure how I made it into that <laughs> one. But apparently enough of a nerd. Yeah. So we're gonna there's gonna be a web web page, but uh, Spike Town definitely is doing a really good job, and each person is gonna be responsible for their own uh, r- reporting of a different uh, type of volleyball. I think I'm gonna have NCAA top 25 women. I believe Garthoff is taking the beach himself, from what I gathered. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure Jay Hasek will be our men's NCAA. Sean Manzi's on it. Another one of our regular listeners, and I'm not sure. Maybe he's doing Canadian stuff since that's where he's at at the moment. He just moved to Canada this week, so just moved to Canada. Moved to Canada. Oh my goodness! No idea what they're giving him, but we'll see how it goes. A lot of loonies and toonies. Hopefully, <laughs> that's what they're giving him. I don't know. I saw some pictures of poutine already, so we're on that end of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Spike Dash Town. You got to look him up on Facebook and make sure you like him. Then we'll have a website soon. We'll have a website soon. I've seen previews. We've started practicing how to post things without looking like idiots. Matt Gardhoff, you are crazy, and I love it. (laughs) I absolutely love it. Hey, maybe this is how we can get the net live funded if we start making some money off of this sucker at some point. (laughs) Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? There we go. All right, so get on over there and check out Spike-Town. Anything else we're missing here, Katie, on a a Monday? Uh... Well, no. Not unless you want to talk men's D3 championship game. Oh, we forgot to talk about that. Yeah. We've got no call-ins this week. I don't know anybody on the Springfield staff that has time to give us a call, so we're out on that one, but it did. Oh, Charlie, took it. Charlie's listening. Call Charlie. in. Is he listening? Yeah. Where are you at, Charlie? Probably off celebrating or driving back from central Pennsylvania. Um, they took the finals yesterday, 3-0 over Juniata at Juniata. Um, it was 25-20, 25-21, 25-21. Great match. I heard the crowd was rocking. I was trying to follow it while I was on a plane home from Minnesota. Um, so I only caught the right before it started and right after. Um, but it sounded like a great match, and the rivalry lives on. And I think that's nine national titles for Springfield now, three in a row, NCAA championships. So I believe they are the only ever winner of the Division Three national championship since it's become a national championship. So I have one here that says uh, top-ranked Springfield College stopped Carthage's run. Mm-hmm. Beating the Redmen 25-16, 25-23, 25-21 the in the semis, semis, right? And then they beat Juniata for the final. Beat Juniata in the final. So they won the Battle of Carthage. They did. <laughs> Juniata got into the finals by defeating Kane University, Coach Genex we had on yep. the, on the uh, show a little while ago. And then they beat uh, State University of New York at New Paltz, SUNY New Paltz here favorite thing. New Paltz. Uh, Sounds like a condition. Yep. And Springfield got in by beating Endicott, whose coach Chapel was on our show last week. Uh, and then they beat Carthage. And then they took down Juniata. Carthage. <sighs> Painful as that is for me to say out loud, because it still makes me a little sad. Battle of Carthage. <laughs> uh, 
And Congratulations, uh, we don't Charlie like to say Sullivan. that name on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Charlie Sullivan. Three in a row. That's how about that? Yeah, you know, they did a really great job of coverage. There was video coverage for all of the matches for the NCAAs. I think they might do a better job for D3 than they are doing for D1. Um, but they did a pretty pretty solid coverage over there, some good stuff going on. And it's a, Juniata is a place where volleyball is very well appreciated, so it was incredibly well-intended, absolutely packed in that gym, and it's a fun environment. Good pictures here of the celebration. Yeah, packed gym. It's okay to have a smaller gym and just jam it. Well, the best part about that is there's a mezzanine right above, so it's almost like being in the old, was it the old Loyola gym, where you could pretty much be screaming right over top of the servers. It's it's small, but, you know, we've hosted NCAA championships there for women, the Molten Championships for the men, lots of NCAA tournaments, and they bring in extra bleachers on the top and just pack it to the gills. Volleyball is absolutely huge in Huntington, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I've sat in on a practice over there with uh, Charlie. It was a lot of fun uh-huh. over there for the Hall of Fame induction. Uh-huh. Had an opportunity to skip over and check out Springfield College. Uh, Springfield's gym is the one with the wagon wheel up at the <laughs> ceiling. And every time a ball hits it, you have no idea where that sucker is going because it can pounce off as nine things before it, it makes it to the floor is again. Is it spinning? It should be a spinning wagon wheel. That would make it entirely more it's interesting. It's a little like the Hunger Games volleyball version. Like throwing a muffin into a ceiling fan. <laughs> Across the room. <laughs> that would be awesome. Congratulations, Springfield. And thanks to the guys for calling in over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Thanks to the, those coaches for being a part of our show and, and introducing us to more D3. It's a championship that I called at Carthage in Kenosha a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Had an opportunity to be there. Banana slugs present at the time. <laughs> All right. We missed uh, Rob on the mic, but he was in a meeting, and we had to move the time this week for Vinny and Jay. But, Robbie, we still love you. Thanks to Jay and Vinny for being here on the show. You want to spool up a little more music over there? You got something yeah. that can take us out? Something I think I can do that. Something that's entertaining. <laughs> what are we looking for here? Since you're complaining. I mean, you played something out of my phone last time. Fair enough. I'll give you that do one. Do you want to go ahead and play Doses and Mimosas next? <laughs> no way. You don't like that song? <laughs> it's one of those ones where I get a little tired of it. Pretty oh, much. man. All right. Well. Hold on. Let me get to something here. You keep talking for another minute. Jay and Vinny, thanks very much for calling in. We will look forward to the matches. Penn State and Lewis, Erskine and Stanford with the play-in matches. And Loyola, BYU await the winners. Prediction, Stanford, national champion. Brian Cook, an ace to win it. We'll see if Vinny is Vinny Nostradamus. We'll see how that works out this week. And Jay, well, he's got Penn State winning it all, as he should. Thanks to 6'8 Clothing Company. For their support of this show, remember, dress well, live tall with 6'8". You want to make sure you have oversized pockets if you have huge (laughs) hands, not to mention the inseam that you need and the right fit. Don't find yourself putting your pants down to dangerously low levels (laughs) or pulling your sleeves up just to try and make the shirt look normal. That's not a style. That is a fit problem. (laughs) They have nice shirts, very attractive pants. Go on, check them out, 6'8clothingcompany.com. TNL 10 will get you 10% off of your purchase. They also run a variety of things. We posted one of their sales a couple of weeks ago on our, on our Facebook. Keep a look out on our Facebook page, the net live slash Facebook, or pardon me, Facebook slash the net live. We're not more important than Facebook just yet, <laughs> but check it out and get over there and get on six, eight That's the number eight in the middle of all those words. So thanks to all of our sponsors, ABCA, as well as volleyball mag for their support of the show. Thanks to Katie for coming in today. We will see you, I believe next week, a little bit up we in the air. Next week? Well, we'll, we'll have to see. We'll sort it out after the show. We've got an NCAA championship show that's got to happen. I know we got to interview. We have to interview 
the coach. John Costi. Yeah, it's it's gonna happen. I'll be I'll be oh, back yeah. from Vegas. My stuff in Vegas got canceled, so I will be back. All right. I go to Vegas anyway, but I don't have to be there Monday. Just for anyone who's wondering. <laughs> and yes, Katie. Yes, Jeremy. The backyard will be done by then. Maybe <laughs> I, we'll broadcast from out there. There's some progress back there. It's getting close. Serious progress going on. It's getting close. The All Net right. Live. Let's do this. Thanks for being here. Katie, take us out.